Hey Anastasia, welcome to the RevOps Review. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'm joined by Anastasia Bins, and she is the head of RevOps at Semple, which is basically a hub spot for doctors, I think you were telling me, which is super yes. awesome. <laughs> and you've been in the revenue operations space for how many years now? Uh, coming up to, well, it's been five years for sure. It's coming up to six years. Yeah, it's been um, a very long but short journey at the same time. <laughs> That's awesome. Tell me about Semble. So Semble is a, well, it's essentially like a, a CRM for, for doctors, basically what you said. Um, I've been telling everyone that it's a HubSpot for doctors because HubSpot is my one true love. Um, but um, yeah, it's, um, it's a company that empowers doctors to use their time to care for people rather than do admin, uh, which is kind of that efficiency building up on, um, you know, the letting people free up their time to do what's important and what's actually um, delivering value to others. Um, it's been quite, the, the mission statement is very dear and uh, near to my heart, but it's all um, set against the context of healthcare in the UK where, um, you know, workloads are going up, admin loads are going up, but the people who are doing that work are still the same group of people. So the staffing is not increasing, but the, the workload is. So Semble comes into that space to make things more efficient. What's so interesting is that phenomenon of doing more with less even um, permeates through the healthcare sector. It's happening in revenue operations and go to market, but yet here you are talking about it in the healthcare space. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's exactly the same story. I mean, there's a there's a different level to it in the UK with like Brexit and all of the other yucky stuff that's been going on. Like healthcare has taken a massive hit, but yeah, it's it's the same story everywhere. Though you're right. Like how many of us have been told to to do more stuff with less budget? That I think that's been the key phrase in 2023, right? I think so. So when you come into these companies. You, you've, you've been telling me that you come in as a solo operator for, for at least a little while. Tell me a little bit about that journey as a as an operator of one or team of one. What do you look for and you know how do you kind of manage those first few months on the, on, in the role? Sure. So I think, um, I mean, first things first, it's about picking the company that you could actually do this job in. Um, and the company has to be a certain way to accommodate for a team of one. I think they have to have the right expectations. They have to have the right mindset as well. And it's that mindset of, we know we're doing terribly in particular areas, but good in others. So can you just come in and help us improve? So it's about locating your ideal customer first and then actually you know, making a match that way. But when I land, um, it's always, it's, it's quite funny actually. And it's um, almost heartwarming every time because I have these onboarding sessions with like the, the CEO, the CRO, whoever is like, whoever it is that I'm reporting to. And it's always like a look of, look of like sheepishness almost like, oh, we've been doing this, but we know it's wrong. And it's like, it's, it's okay. <laughs> it's fine. Cause you've, you've gotten this far without me. So you must've been doing something right. And I'm just here to like help you do it a little bit better. Um, but I think what the way I always like to position it is that if you're coming into this role and you're the first on the ground, there's two things that you need. You need a really open mind, first of all, and then you need a really sharp axe as well. Um, so the open mind is that that thing that I've just mentioned. So they have been doing fine before you. They have enough money to hire you. 
they're okay. You're there, you're there to improve stuff. So um, it's about like picking your battles and not necessarily like just trying to change absolutely everything that you see in front of you. And then the sharp axe is the complete opposite. It's when you see stuff that's just absolutely awful that you can just go, okay, we're not doing that anymore. Bye. Um, but yeah, but it's a weird old role, but I do enjoy it in like a really masochistic way because it's, it is painful um, and it involves a lot of sales, I'd say as well. Like I'm sure you know it yourself being a team of one, like it's a constant selling of the of the art of the possible. Like why, why is this person coming off the street and telling us what to do? Like, why is she changing everything? Like that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's an interesting role. I don't think I would change anything about it, um, but yeah. I think there's something valuable there, right? The idea of the company having the right mindset and mm. that right mindset is a bit of self-awareness and the desire to improve. I think we talked about the idea of moving from like scrappy to scale up. It's kind of an overused term these days, but it gives you, whenever you hear that word, oh, we want to scale, scale up. It's there for a reason. They use that word because they want to iterate. They want it to grow. And the enemy is complacency or status quo. And, mm -hmm. you know, coming in and shaking things up is not necessarily a bad idea. I think the idea of change management, introducing changes to different speeds some changes you can bring in fast, some you can bring in slow, some probably warrant a little bit of slow speed because you want to bring, make sure everyone's on board with you to adopt those changes. But I think that's super valuable. So you you mentioned the problems in terms of prioritization and not every problem needs to be solved before we had this, mm -hmm. you know, before we started recording. What did you mean by that? So, okay, we're going to go back to, to the phrase that I used before, like, they were fine without you. And if you're in RevOps space and, or you're just starting up or you're about to start in a new company, please just get that tattooed somewhere because that is, I feel like in our profession, there is a big ego thing of like, you go through so much with so many different companies and you see so much that is good practice and so much that is bad practice that you adopt certain things as like, dogmatic like some things become your bible like the way for example to organize a pipeline or the right way to manage a customer's life cycle or you know those kind of things but yeah the company that hired you has hired you because they had the money and the capacity to that means that the stuff that they were doing before absolutely work this is what i mean about not being not like jumping at every single problem some problems are only problems because they don't fit into our worldview of how things should be done. And that in itself is quite toxic, I think, uh, because what you end up with is basically cookie cutter RevOps, where you go in and you recreate your old company and your new company, which causes ruin and chaos to be dramatic. Ruin and chaos reign for all. Um, but yeah, so that that's kind of the foundation of it. But just where prioritization is concerned, I always like to kind of just go in and just constantly check myself. Like, do I want to fix this because my ego is telling me that it's wrong? Or do I want to fix it because it's broken, like objectively broken, like it's like things are falling out of place. Um, so that's part of it. And like the other part of prioritization as well, like whenever you start a new company, everyone already has a to-do list for you. And some of the things on their to-do list are genuine things to do. And some things are just stuff that will not be a priority ever. 
So it's also being able to have those conversations and say, okay, look, like realistically, not until the end of next year <laughs> will we be able to do this sort of stuff. But you must have seen it yourself. Like people come to you with a super urgent priority that needs to be sorted like 17 years ago. And then you just leave it for a day and it's no longer a priority. Um, so that that's part of the trick, like knowing when to knowing when you have to jump in straight away and problem solve and knowing when it's just not a problem at all and it doesn't need anyone. I once took a role where they showed up and I showed up on day one. Great, you're here, super excited. By the way, we documented every big every little problem in the business and had looked at this list, this backlog they called it. It was like 372. I was like, okay, this is a huge oh. list, by the way. Do you want me to tackle this list? And I remember the CEO telling me, absolutely. This is exactly why we brought you in to solve this list. I was like, why don't you hire a consultant? There's like 372 items. Oh, I don't know how long this took this, how long yeah. this took this took for you to put together. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read through this list. I'm gonna prioritize and stack rank each one of these. I'm gonna identify them in a couple of quadrants. One is going to be like a quick win, one's gonna be a major project, one's gonna be a thankless task. Um, and then once you get those quadrants in mind, I can start to have a conversation with you around which ones I'm going to tackle first. I'm going to start tackling these because I need credibility within the org. And once mm -hmm. I have that credibility within the org, I can then operate from there because now I have the good graces and making these strong, positive, emotional deposits with my stakeholders. Mm -hmm. These thankless tasks, they're not that important. That, that's why they're in the thankless task column. And I remember when we when I finished that exercise, it was like a good 50% of them were in the thankless task category. And I was like, this is not where you want to spend your time. You're no. bringing the leader of revenue operations. You want them to spend time on the quick wins and the major projects. And guess what? There were only four or five major projects. And, it, and you know, based on my experience, this is how much time it's going to take to unblock all those projects. This is a three, four quarter exercise to tackle each one of these. And you can't tackle all of them in parallel you'll seize up the revenue operations function. They just won't be able to operate the day-to-day. -day. You can only handle so many big rocks at once. And so what I recommend is maybe one, two, or three major projects in any one quarter that you can realistically tackle. But by the way, I wanted to ask you, how did you get end up in ops? No one ever goes to school for revenue operations. So like, how'd you end up here? Yeah, and back when I was graduating, revenue ops wasn't a thing. <laughs> and nobody was advertising for sales ops. So I um, did a degree in social anthropology um, at Uni of Manchester and anthropology graduates get hired into, as in like the, the degree specific hires go into museum creatorship or they go further into academia and teaching or they get hired to go to war zones and oh advise goodness. the, yeah. <laughs> just completely unethical <laughs> advise the invaders or you know the people who are doing the the liberation on how to like how to speak to the local population and how to get them on their side and like just you know just do a little bit of like um cultural integration there but yeah that wasn't a thing for me like I, I wasn't doing any of that and I was so bored of academia by that point it's just like get me out of here so as any lost graduate ended up in sales, it was a um, recruitment tech startup. And little did I know that startups are also war zones. So <laughs> we were making that joke earlier. <laughs> it really yeah. is true. 
um but it was kind of like out of one into the other um but yeah so I was in sales for a while it was one of those roles where it's like it's not inbound it's not outbound it's like everything plus customer success plus support so it's basically just like look after our customers please just do something do, do something with these people and um after a while like after a couple of years there they started using the word scale up um but it was literally like one day they were like we're a scale up now we're, we're moving towards that direction and being me and being super annoying I went and looked it up um and then I was like okay well actually we're not <laughs> and it's for these reasons and um can you please give me a job of like doing data and on um operations and all that kind of stuff and they surprisingly agreed like I, I still can't believe they gave me that break because I I wouldn't have um, I was 23 I didn't know anything um and yeah from there it's just been one one ops role after another I guess RevOps came into play when I was at a really large corporate and it was sales operations originally, but then they gave me marketing operations to look after as well. And I was like, yeah, this, this actually makes a lot of sense. Like, why wouldn't you have them under one banner? Um, why wouldn't you look after them all in one place? And yeah, yeah, RevOps, RevOps since then. That's interesting. I was telling you about one of the first hires that I ever made was someone that would oh. say yes, would say yes to everything. I would mm -hmm. throw him a massive problem and he was so skilled, so good at really coming up with not just one solution. Sometimes he'd come to me with two solutions. The first solution would be the simplest solution. I'm like, yeah, that's what I was expecting. And the mm -hmm. second solution was something extremely complex. And I remember thinking, why did you, why did you build it like this? Like, oh, well, I you spent one night digging into some new capability in the CRM. And then my, I just, my mind took over. I just couldn't sleep. And I just kept working and working on it and working on it. And like, you built this huge, crazy thing that no one could maintain, but now you have the skills to go do it. Um, and you know, to me, it was one of the first things as a you know team of one or a solo operator, like you have to learn. Sometimes the simplest solution is the best solution. And I had to learn that myself, even when I was coming up the ranks. Uh, I'm curious, you know, when you think through, you've identified when you come into a company, you know, they're, they have the right mindset, self-aware, they have the budget mm -hmm. to bring you on. The second thing is now that you're in there, what are the first few things that you're, you're, you're thinking through to help them get to where they want to be? Mm. So what I normally do is I normally have, um, I normally just go around and meet absolutely everyone and ask them some awkward questions and also like provide that safe space to just moan and rant and rave about the stuff that they're currently doing. From that, you will instantly have a list of quick wins. And like you, that is what I focus on straight away. Because the first thing to do is to win the hearts and minds of people that you are going to be forcing the changes onto um, in, the, in the future, right? So that's kind of the first thing. But in parallel to that, during onboarding, I obviously also like to understand what happens to the customer at every stage um i feel like that's a that's a very basic foundational thing like what what journey and what happens at every single stage to the the person that we're going to be charging money right um i also like to know um what the kind of auxiliary teams are doing i guess auxiliary in a sense that they're not revenue operations so they're not technically within scope for me but i like to know i'm just nosy i think <laughs> That's the, um, that's the headline of this. Just be very, very nosy. Um, 
but yeah but at the end of onboarding I normally end up with a massive massive file of notes and then just literally go through and organize them into themes and I see what uh what are the common things that people are complaining about um the types of companies that I normally work with are not yet at the stage to know what they need um which is part of the problem um because thinking back to the ego problem that's when it kicks in that's when you go okay you don't know what I what you need I'm just going to copy paste what I did before that worked so it's more about like trying to deduce from the stuff that they're saying to you what the the potential and the you know the the main um my main topics are the main kind of um quick wins there so yeah it's um it's a combination of just really foundational stuff and obviously like the data cleanse comes into it almost straight away like I've never started at a company with perfect data um the the reporting piece the KPIs but more importantly than anything just go and make friends immediately because you're going to need friends so key themes there taking away uh, one build relationships mm. two know the customer journey three know how everyone works together for tackling quick wins and organizing into themes. I love all that. All while trying to do a couple of things that are, that are really important. Balancing their history and their culture and helping them get to that next stage of evolution. That's super powerful. So we're coming up to the last segment. I always ask this for every guest that comes on. If you were to go back in time and visit young Anastasia, what advice would you give her as she started journeying into the ops career? Um, I've been thinking about this. And I think it's, okay, so young me, please don't take stuff personally. <laughs> it's not about you. <laughs> um, but in on a serious note, like Rev, RevOps sees itself as like a really objective, super like, you know, almost like robotic black and white, this is how things are kind of job, but it's actually super emotional um because you are you're asking people to go on a journey with you and that journey sometimes involves them kicking off like throwing all their toys out the pram and screaming and kicking off like I, I don't want to do this kind of thing and I think baby me took that reaction from people to be you know this is something I did wrong like I shouldn't you know it's because I'm awful no it's because they are having a moment. Like, I think that's um, that's the most important thing. And I think if somebody had just explained that to me at the time, I would have got there a lot quicker than I had. Than I had. So yeah, if there's, uh, if there's people in their first or second jobs listening, then yeah, please just, yeah, people, people will be people and they will kick off and scream, but it's not your fault. Sage advice. So for those who haven't connected with you or don't know, uh, where can they learn and connect with you? On LinkedIn, hit me up. I post really low quality memes with high quality ramblings. That's that's the jam. That's the experience. <laughs> I love that. Well, thanks again, Anastasia. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me.